welcome to the meta podcast or maybe the meta 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 podcast we usually talk with people who host their own podcasts or other online media trying to bring forth higher deeper more transformational or more authentic content but today i'm speaking with six women who convene on the stoa for a podcast called high pitch where they constantly reflect on the open-ended mystery of what it is they're actually doing Bonnie, Rhea, Skylar, Aisha, Nora, and Miriam invited me to engage and reflect upon their intersubjective experiment in creating a more balanced podcast ecology, where robust ideas and the lived experience can be simultaneously held, or perhaps even discovered to be mysteriously identical. It's an interesting organic conversation if you can stay with it. The individuals aren't quite individuals. It doesn't quite end at the end, and altogether it strays into the liminal terrain of undetermined betweenness. So here, without further ado, are the witches of high pitch. So what I thought the first question could be, and we'll just cycle through everyone, I'll sort of call you out, I guess, using the order on my screen. Uh, just tell us who you are and where you are and what you hope your podcasting project might be able to do. Maybe we'll start with Bonnie. Uh, so I'm Bonnie and I'm here in snowy Northwest Connecticut. Um, what do we hope this podcast will do? Uh, we are trying to, as I understand it, contribute something to this space that doesn't exist, that is emergent and forming as we go along. Um, you know, you had put the title of this thing, Bonnie and the Witches, and I was thinking that witches have recipes. Right? And, and all these women that I know here, uh, first of all, we've never been in dialogue as a group before we just started in dialogue in this spectacle, okay? So this is all new for us also. And we decided not to use that energy by getting to know each other. We decided just to show up and get to know each other uh, in this format. <clears throat> But witches have recipes. And I was thinking that there's something about each one of these women that has a recipe for seeing the world in a certain way and acting in the world in a certain way. And that is obvious to me. Uh, so instead of saying, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of other podcasts and people can articulate the generator functions or the, the models they use and can communicate that. It's not clear that any of us can communicate exactly how we, we move through the liminal spaces and generate emergent relationships and transform uh, whole groups of people and, and get what we want when we want it in certain ways. And there's something like that magic going on in all these people's lives. And so I think that if, and, I, and we've been on a few podcasts trying to communicate something of that, but I would say that's kind of like, for me, the pot of gold I'm, I'm searching for with this group. Uh, what about you, Ria? I'm in Belgium, already dark, too warm for the season. I, I went out today and it felt like, oh, I could feel the warmth, what, 
we would normally call spring, but it's just mid-December, so bit weird in that way. So I think what I was hoping for today is, is kind of, okay, let's have a conversation, a dialogue between ourselves where somebody else, somebody outside like you, Naiman, could, could maybe help us articulate what we like doing and what we are good at and maybe where we could go next. I don't know. We had a couple of conversations on the store and I know quite some people liked it a lot. And seeing the latest dialogue on the store and uh, how would I say that? Hoping that, that at some point there could be a bridge between the sometimes very academic language that is used and that I'm sometimes like, oh, that goes over my head. But I know, I sense that we're talking about the same thing, that what we are doing and where can we make that bridge or who can make that bridge or that's something that I'm holding. Oh. Schuyler? It's Is that Skyler. how you pronounce that? No, it's Skyler. Skyler. Yeah, that's great. That's been happening my whole life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel right at home. <laughs> yeah, it's Skyler or Sky. Um, I'm in Rhinebeck, New York. Yeah, I, I think uh, I also am just so enjoying this um, convening. This Every time uh, High Pitch is on my calendar, I feel really excited to see my friends here and to play, you know, really experiment and play and really, and, and have no expectation for what's going to come out of it. It's really not a goal oriented endeavor, which is in contrast to so much of what I'm doing or, or asked to do throughout the day. So, um, so I just, I, I just feel like uh, I keep showing up to get to know each of these women better. Um, and also to be held um, in the space that we're able to create together and relax into that space. And I suspect that's something that people who were enjoying the conversations on the STOA were also feeling was that it was a different kind of space that we were able to, or that we are able to create. And then what emerges out of that space is unexpected and rich and heartfelt and meaningful or nonsensical and <laughs> I don't know, random, whatever it is, I really trust what's going to happen. And so that's why I am here. And, and I feel a great deal of love, I think. Um, and yeah. And, and like Ria, I'm happy to have a witness, an observer, or some, you know, your participation, Layman. I'm really curious what that does for us in this space. Thank you. Is it um, Essie or Eki? 
uh, Eje. 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 Yeah. <laughs> just like Sky, I've been dealing with it all my life. Um, it's a beautiful name in Turkish, but butchered in all other languages. Um, thank you for having us here. Uh, I am super excited to be with you, with the six of us, you holding us, um, already with you naming us Bonnie and the Witches. It's already starting to come together for me. I feel like you're really going to help uh, me feel um, a lot more uh, coherence, you know, in our group. What I feel high pitch is doing, can do in the world, I'll start with what it is starting to do for me. It's really starting to turn into this pod for self-transformation. This is not an easy way of showing up in the world for me. And uh, these exceptional women and uh, and this kind of opportunities to, 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 to show up in the world are really goodness. Yeah, we're experiencing my, you know, anxiety, performance anxiety coming up. And I will just take a moment to take a breath. Hold on. Yeah, this means a lot to me. This is not easy for me to do. And um, I feel like it's time. It's time that I start showing up a, a different way in the world as it is time that every one of us start showing up a different way in the world. And to be honest, as a student of integral and all sorts of transformational communities, I don't see them fulfilling their potential of mass transformation that I am hoping for. <laughs> um, so may, may High Pitch uh, and Bonnie and the Witches contribute in that arena. That's my wish for us. What about you, Miriam? I wanted to start by saying um, thank you, all of you. It's such a treat to start the day like this. I got up early um, with Snowy here to British Columbia, Canada and took a walk and uh, just felt lucky, really felt blessed that I that my next step after walk is to come and sit here with you and now meet you, Lehman, too. To me, to me what we've done so far um, is partly emergent and unknown every single time. You know, I always think, should I prepare? How could I prepare? And then there's nothing that comes to mind as far as preparing. And so I literally just show up every time not knowing. So I, I, I uh, resonate with some of that discomfort you're saying itche just and and yet there's this beauty in being held because I also noticed as I was reflecting on how I don't even know how to prepare being together with others and in this case with these um, five other incredible women there's a relaxation there too like I literally feel like it's so not all up to me what happens it's up to all of us and, uh, and I really delight in that sense of doing something together, weaving a tapestry that we don't know what it's gonna be ahead of time, but also being able to relax while we do it. Because, because I feel like we're all really giving what we have to give into the mix and discovering what that, as it, what that is in the actual moment of giving it. 
So that maybe leads me to another piece that I've seen us doing and I'd like to explore more, um, which is similar to what Ria, you were saying of how some of the conversations on podcasts can be incredibly conceptual or academic or just very much um, beautiful, but also really in the cognitive space. And I was really tickled by Bonnie's invitation of how about we just show up as our whole selves here, as, as our mother selves, as our women selves, as our human selves, as our thinking, feeling, sensing, hoping, fearful, all, all, of, all of what is, and just literally allow ourselves to bring all that into the podcast setting rather than feel like it has to get trimmed down and there's only a particular slice of us that can show up. So I feel like we've been exploring that. I think there's more that could happen there too, um, but I've loved what we've managed to, to just, <laughs> even just watching someone walking down behind you, Nora, there is just beautiful. I have no idea. Was that, was that a, a, a person or a pet? <laughs> um, but just the wholeness, all the dog barking and the hay being delivered and, and, uh, and not shying away from bringing the fullness of life that all of us actually live um, in, into these screens. And maybe as a, as a last little piece is, I'm, I'm really feeling itchy what you said. Like, I feel like at this time in our humanity, there are inquiries um, and there are real predicaments that, need to be solved and I really don't think any one person can do that ever so to me the the practice that we've been practicing of having our different lenses and and allowing them to be as full as they want to be having our different lenses paint a picture together and and really realizing that it is it, it, we need each other's lenses to see the fuller picture and this is just a small beginning um, but I, I remember before the first Stoa conversation, I was sharing with someone that's going to be six of us in a one hour call. And they were a little aghast. They were like, there's no way that's going to work. That's like even two people in one hour, you can barely get a word in sideways. And so I kind of went at it going, I wonder how this is going to work. And I was blown away with the grace and the ease and the sense of spaciousness that was there amongst the six of us. And I was like, I think that's part of it too is, experiencing the relaxing into that we're holding something together and we're inquiring together and I need itches view on this and skies and Bonnie's and Nora's and Ria's as much as mine um, so that's a start well thank you and I'm from British Columbia myself hi <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you Nora Thank you. And it's so good to be uh, back with everybody here too. Um, I think one thing that has been really, um, the word that is coming to mind right now is just the idea of something just sort of soaking in. Like I, I feel like we're soaking in the possibility of what we are mutually learning. And I feel like every time somebody in this group says something, it soaks in and it changes what I was going to say or what the way that I was thinking. And that is really a, a, a beautiful thing. It, it means that I'm 
I'm not here to deliver a Nora script. I, I'm actually here to explore with you. And the, you know, the, the, the all of me, the big mess of me that's showing up to this room is changed by this room. So one of the fascinating things I think for me about a lot of the conversations that are going on right now is how scripted they feel. How I feel like, okay, this is this thing and this is that thing and this is this thing and this is this other thing and yeah, yeah, yeah. And beautiful, brilliant people, but it just doesn't feel like it's alive. And, and you know, coming into life in the moment. Um, which is not to say that, it, you know, in the way that we are being together, we're not bringing the richness and the rigor and the rigor. There's, there's a lot of rigor in this room of the past. But there's a sense of really tending to the what I would call the ecology of the communication. And, and just recognizing, you know, communication is not what is said. It's what it's possible to say. And so I feel like every time somebody brings something into this space, the possibility of what it's, it's then, you know, it, what, what, what the limits are of what it's possible to say shift uh, in really beautiful ways that I think are important. Because I think so much of the illusion, the dangerous illusion that is um, surrounding everything from the education system to the economy to the health system to the, you know, to religion and spirituality to it's everywhere. Um, that illusion is actually forged in relationship. And so then we go to the institution or to the body of ideas that are somehow holding these pieces and try to change them, but it's not there. Like Bonnie was saying, it's in the liminal space. It's in the relationships. So for me, these, these conversations are really important because it's a new tonality, a new texture, a new rhythm, a new way of soaking in, in our kind of the, whatever this is, the music, the communication that we're making together. So, uh, you know, it, if we change what it's possible to say, we're liable to, to have some insights that none of us knew we were even looking for. And, and I think that's really exciting. So um, I, I guess there's another piece for me too, which is um, I don't feel uh, that I have to perform here. I'm not needing to uh, make a sound bite point or produce something that's noteworthy or it's not really about that 
And I, I, I'm really excited by that. And I've noticed a real shift in myself since we've started doing this. And it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things, but one of these shifts has been just a new kind of, a new kind of comfort in discussing the things that are there that are real, that are invisible and that are especially invisible to the existing culture. And uh, it's important to do that together. Okay. Before my second question, maybe I'll just give a couple observations about what I heard. Uh, my first sense is there's a lovely tone and tempo here. It seems very, you know, supportive and maybe clean or something like that. It has a meditative quality to it. I'm hearing a lot of emphasis on being open-ended, a lot of emphasis on bringing in a kind of organic richness that might otherwise fall outside of intellectual discussions, a lot of emphasis on um, the power of relationships and collectives to produce new insights that might not be available to individuals. And I have a, I have a mental image of two sides of the podcasting universe trying to make contact with each other because it can be a very conceptual medium, but it can also be a very personal medium. And I think there's, those need to cross-pollinate with each other much more richly. So my second question is, you know, I, I was thinking about, I don't want to get too heavy on the metaphor of the witches, but the notion of stirring a cauldron showed up for me, especially when Nora mentioned soaking, because um, we're all in this cauldron together at the moment. And how can we stir those flavors around? So I'd love to go through and have each of you tell me what you think the other people's flavors are and what they each bring to this that's unique. That you, is that a question you feel like you can answer, Bonnie? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm going to put a different spin on it. And first of all, that was a lovely recap. And I think this is uh, all I can think of is this is why we really wanted to do a podcast with you. So brewing, you know, when you ask me that question, what do these women bring? Um, what I'm struck by is really the antithesis of that. And so, for example, both when Miriam and Nora were talking there's a sense in which people, we show up and we drop our tools. And I use that phrase because it comes from firefighting, a, a, a research on the Man Gulch disaster. And it showed that when they train firefighters, when you first become a firefighter and you're confronted with fire, you wanna drop your uh, chainsaw and gas tank because like gas tank, fire, chainsaw, heavy. And so they drill into you, don't drop those tools. This is, this is the biggest conditioning. But at the Man Gulch disaster, it was like a hundred year event. And at those events, you have to drop your tools. And the couple of people who survived it did. They ran away from the fire with only a shovel. They dug in, blah, blah, blah. So this notion of when do we drop our tools? And it seems to me, yeah, this brewing, we're all in this predicament. This is, we, we characterize our times as one of these hundred year events, you know? And instead of 
doubling down on our tools, everything we've been taught. Um, and of course, we all continue to, to do that work. This is, an attempt, this is an opportunity for us to come together and drop our tools. And then what arises, you know? And what I was struck from the beginning, and I don't know if you all uh, struggle with this, because I struggle with it a little bit. Like I'll think, ah, that's, I'm gonna go in, I have a teaching on that. Even this drop your tools is one of my teachings. So I'm feeling a little bit paradoxical here. And, I, uh, and yet everybody has, uh, with a certain amount of grace, and I don't know how much restraint you feel. I know it's, it's difficult work for me. Open themselves to not their prior self, not before they knew how to do what their expertise is, but it's on the other side. It's like something is, is coming into being on the other side that has a characteristic of, of both those. So if I would say that we're a bunch of witches that decide not to brew, not to put in the, not to put in the pot, what this, what we we're really good at. So um, yeah, I'll use the metaphor that way. <laughs> Rhea, what do you really appreciate about or think that each of these other women contributes or would you like to invert the metaphor somehow? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, should I go and answer the the characteristics of the elements or should we talk about what actually happens between us? Yeah, like what is that liminal space that actually we're, I guess we're all referring to and dropping the tools is one element of that. Um, but what is then actually happening? How, how, how do we name that kind of, I mean, we didn't agree on principles or on how we would behave or um, we, we kind of knew this was the way to go. Like, it's a very open-ended, free dialogue, I would say. Yeah, and I only learned afterwards about Eche's, I don't know how many years of Tantra, whatever training and uh, something about Sky and whatever she does in companies around feminine wisdom or something. I only learned that afterwards, but to me it, it, it uh, how do you say, it made clear to me why it was possible to be in that way here together or in the conversations or in the dialogues we had so far. So what is that? That what was not named beforehand, but that we all assumed or that we all were sure of, I don't know. Uh, and that makes us kind of at ease okay we show up on the store the six of us we have hardly ever met and let's do this and for me it was 
perfect. There was no moment that was like, ooh, or it was just going as it was going and everyone with their own unique contribution. So that would make more sense for me to, to how you say that? Focus in on that, what is happening in between than on the actual individual contributions. That's my take on your question. <laughs> What's your take, Skylar? Well, let's see. I have, I'm just sitting here with one question for the group, which is um, not used in this group to having us go in order. And so I wonder if we could maybe just open it up and layman based on your comfort level. Because one of the things that I love in the way we relate and brew and the way the stirring happens is that it's not um, sequential. And so I was just noticing, I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to get in order. But then AJ says something that I really want to play off. Or, you know, so I, I feel like it would be nice to give us the space to, um, to do that. What do people feel about that proposal? Yeah, okay, great. Okay, so the floor is open because I've just been sitting with that. <laughs> I think it's really, um, life finds a way, you know, and whatever it is that we have here, we each just kind of find our way in it. And that's something really different than thinking about the collaboration as being, you know, that there is a particular, a particular essence of sky or particular essence of Eche or Bonita or, um, or Ria or Miriam or myself, and that we're going to then put our spice in. Um, because I, that would be much more mechanical, actually. If, if, if that were, you know, sort of the, the way that I felt like this, this notion of collaboration was, 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 and I don't really want to use the word working, like right there, there it is again, it's sneaking in again. It isn't really that, it's that there's something that happens and then I become into it which is really different than here I am and I'm just gonna put me in now. So I, I think I, I wanna say that. So, you know, it kind of in what you're saying, Rhea, makes a lot of sense that this, this is something in the liminal space. It's, it's what is, what's happening between where, where what I might say has less to do with what I have rehearsed in my own work than what is in the alchemy of what has happened here. I would love to follow up on that. And just uh, 
brings up in me what you're saying, Nora, that we are, and this is my perception of what we each are contributing, is a willingness to drop the, our habitual ways of being. And, you know, Nora's habitual ways of being in this space is different than my habitual ways of being. So what she gets to drop versus what I get to drop is very different. And in that space of practice, we get to mingle and create this, this thing that maybe models this new way of being or willingness uh, that can inspire more people to be in the world. When you asked the question, Lehman, the, the first word that came up to me was like, I'm not done listening. I need to listen more. Like I need to soak in these women more. I, it's too early for me to be able to put words. And, and as I'm hearing all of you speak, that is even brought more to the fore because I realize there's so much becoming still. So for me to name would feel that I would just be capturing and boxing something that has not had enough time to soak and marinate and, um, and, and become in this kind of field together. So yeah, listening was, was what I'm still doing. I, I, you know, I'm even just looking at the different screens. I feel like I'm, I'm soaking in and I'm listening to who, who is each of us and not just who is each of us as individuals, but I mean, I love this idea of making a soup together or brewing something and having the different spices actually affect each other. Um, so I feel like there's, there are the six of us, but then there's everything in between and the effect that we're having on each other. And that if Nora says something that then Sky feels moved to speak or itchy or the other way around, like, it literally is a dance that, in my experience, um, one of the best ingredients perhaps that I can bring is just this willingness to listen and not feel like I need to know already. You, you know, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling like I've boxed layman out of this process, you know, like, like, um, here, Layman, let's, let's have you interview us. <laughs> You're going to have a role, and we get to do this, this, this other thing. And so I, I'm, I actually feel bad about that. And so I just want to open the space, the invitation to um, either way. I mean, there, it could be there's one thing to say you have a role, and, and there's, there's, that's a constraint that is could actually be useful, but I feel bad that that that, that wider uh, idea um, didn't didn't occur to me when I asked you to do this. So, well, yeah. I appreciate your sensitivity to that. I think the balances with seven people are definitely going to be different than with two or three people, and I think what we're going to get, no matter what, is some kind of blending of the approach and structure that I might bring to it and the spontaneous way that the six of you might normally be interacting with each other. Uh, what I heard in that last round was a lot of 
attentiveness to the fact that whatever you're doing together seemed like it worked before or apart from knowing anything about each other. And also that what's going on here is as much about um, what's being filtered out as what's being contributed. I'm curious about the relationship between dialogue and embodiment or dialogue and skills. Like I, I know from my own experience that it's very easy for me to see how intellectual work comes out of the personal. Um, I like to tell a lot of anecdotes to illustrate where I got an idea from. But the other direction of turning a dialogue into embodiment, I don't exactly know how that looks. So if anyone has any ideas on what discourse has to do in order to transition from ideas to embodiment, I would love to hear that. And what if it's maybe also the other way around? I, if I look at myself, I think it goes from embodiment towards ideas instead of from ideas into embodiment. <laughs> For me personally, um, and I was, I was thinking that each of us have some practice about I would call it co-creation, like understanding that there's always that mutual influence, either it's the warm data lab or it's the coaching work with children or it's Tantra or, I mean, collective insighting from Bonnie. There's, I think for most of us, the split with ideas and embodiment isn't isn't big or we somehow we I don't know how to say it. What we speak is what we embody, I guess, or something like that. That's the best I can language it at the moment. So those they're already very close together for you. Yeah, and, and when I listen to many of the voices in the podcasts, like when I hear ideas and it's not embodied, I'm getting like, my, in my body, it's like, <laughs> and I, I would always love to say, like, calm down. <laughs> that's, that's what happens in me. So for, yeah give the floor to somebody else. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll jump in because I, I like the question. It confused me at first. And then I just realized, you know, my, my whole practice of embodiment has a lot of conversation in it. Like that's how I get myself. I find that, and that's also part of why I love this group and container is that I process in relation, you know, I process in communication with people and there are some days I'm embarrassed to admit but maybe I shouldn't be where I'm doing so much processing that and I look back on my day I realize well now that we're remote I've been on zoom or on the phone with somebody almost all day long 
and multiple conversations with different people bringing different perspectives. And like, I just called Bonnie the other day. I was, I had a big decision to make and, or was, was processing something. And I was a little out of my body around it, you know? And so I called a couple of people who I know bring me into a certain type of conversation. And it's, you know, in what the voice, you know, what the body and the voice say, like, I'm going to, I found myself saying different things to Bonnie that I said to the other person. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's just, it's been fun for me to notice how vital, really rich and deep conversation is to my ability to integrate the lessons that come my way on, on the daily whether it's, you know, an argument with a partner or something that's happening with my child, I'll call HA because she's such a great mom, you know, or, or, you know, like those conversations are the way that I kind of sink into or the sediment kind of sinks into my embodiment. Sorry, and I'll just add that not every conversation is like that, right? Like I can barely have the surface level conversations anymore. I, I know who to call and who to be in conversation with because, you know, uh, there are certain people who will, who will just reinforce my shadow, you know? Oh, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you've been dealing with that for so long, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I really value those places and those people with whom I can have conversations that take me to new perspectives on, on my experience. How much of that is just about who you're in the conversation with and how much of it is a kind of specific procedural or processual dimension of the conversation structure itself, whether or not that's conscious in our minds? I love that. The, I think it's a little bit of both. I notice that the people that I can have those conversations with, many of them I know through communities that are fluent in certain communication practices. You know, like I know that we've both studied with a certain teacher or we've both, you know, gone through a certain training. And so those are sort of in the background, those principles or rules or agreements. Uh, so that's the present, I think, I mean, from my perspective, that's present, but it's also, I mean, sometimes it's like the woman at the grocery store or, you know, when, when my grandfather was alive, a farmer, you know, and he wasn't studying collective presencing or authentic communication or anything like that, but he was very embodied and communicated in a way that, you know, we had our own rhythm. I think it's a really good question, though, because um, the, for, to me, the question's turned into, what is the power of, of words and ideas to transmit an embodied experience? So, and I think um, this is a very interesting question if you teach, if you teach this stuff, because there's sometimes where the right word in the right moment or reflecting back sometimes a word that people used is very powerful. It's an idea that then 
know, reverse engineers the body, let's say, from embodied to ideas. Like when Nora said, there's an opening and I become into it. That was extremely powerful phrasing. Um, that somebody else will make it a word of becoming into it, you know, one of these like conjunction words. And then it, it, gets, it gets taken up by people who, I think they get a little peek when, when Nora says it, they know that they, they've, it's landed somewhere, but then it takes on energy of its own and it becomes Heideggerian or whatever, you know, it becomes this whole other thing that can happen. But I think this whole other thing that happens, even though it's disembodied, is actually comes from the energy that the word puts in the body in the first place. So I think that, yeah, so if we take, Ken Wilber, you know, he wrote a lot of words and they, people had, it was, it was psychoactive. A lot of words are psychoactive, could be roomy even, you know, but we're talking about highly conceptual territory. And I think then there, the energy is in their body, but then it gets turned into making more, more ideas of the ideas. But I would, I just want to honor the fact that the, 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 transmission, the, con the concept did transmit something energetically. Now, how that happens, I'm, I mean, I think that's your question, but I'll just leave it at that. I think it's, it's you know, there, there's, there's something there um, and it doesn't have to happen in dialogue. Um, there's, there's, and it doesn't have to be biblical or narrative text. There are conceptual texts that are, that work reverse engineer that experience. You make me think about metabolism of language, you know, the ability to take it in and put it out in a certain way. So then it makes me curious about two kinds of skill sets. One is what does it take to actually assimilate language into the body? And the other one is the kind of Eugene Genlin philosophy of the implicit question is what does it take to get words out of a body in a richer and more authentic way? I love that. I love the the pondering of what does it take to receive? You know, I see so much receiving happening and then just it, it's not landing in the body. It's actually just swirling in the head. So I, I think there's there's something really powerful there in considering what does it take in each of us as we hear something that resonates deeply? Can it actually land? Can it can it can it land? in the conceptual but then actually make its way into the cells and into the bones and the ligaments and when i hear the word embodiment i always um what comes to my mind is actually much more than just the physical body it's the it's the practice it's the can i can i walk the talk can i can i do what i'm seeing can i live what's being pointed to and so you know a lot of words i feel like I, they they most likely they come from a sensing, but not necessarily always from an embodied knowing or living. So I find a lot of words are more like a signpost. And then there's often an expectation that the person speaking is embodying that. And that creates a lot of confusion, I find. Um, whereas if we notice and, and honor that si signposting is a very important thing, it, we don't have to be fully embodied of something to be able to speak it. We can just sense it. We can feel it. It's like we can pick it up in visions and dreams and artwork. And like sometimes 
things seem to come from far away and then slowly get closer to earth. Um, but I am very curious and I think uh, the relevance for me about um, how we use our words and and it's, I do think at this time uh, in history, I, I, I feel there is such a strong need for the conceptual to ground and to be lived and to make a difference here on earth in actual relationships with those around us. Um, I, I guess it, I, that's where I feel a certain urgency. It's like, yes, we can have beautiful conversations and dialogues and, 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 and weave wonderful worlds, but where it will really start making a difference is when it lands in the embodied, which again, I'm saying is beyond the physical body is in the lived experience of how we show up day in, day out. I wanna follow up on that. That last sentence is, uh, it spells the, the answer, the more literal answer to that question of what does it take to receive language into the body and what does it take to then to get the words out and the the answer is practice for both <laughs> uh, practicing receiving um, discrimination of what to take in and how to take it in it's an ongoing non-stop practice which then and I would, I would name it from my own experience that that's the first phase that uh, Boni also pointed out in an email to me of, uh, I can call it spiritual de development maybe, but it's just perception development, it's uh, human development, healing, is that we first internalize and heal it within. And um, to the degree that we do that, now we can be more in more relationship with the outside world. And now it's time, for example, I completely identify with that stage in my own development. I have to practice being able to get the words out, out, out from the inner wisdom or inner experience, inner wholeness that I might be experiencing. But not going to go too far if I cannot <laughs> live it out there. <laughs> and uh, that is exactly the gesture that we need at, at the collective level for the healing that we're seeking in the world as well. Yeah, what a beautiful, beautiful question. Thank you for asking it. For me, this is really also a study of um, of context and the way that sort of the relationship between, you know, coming into form and information and the way in which I see this thing happening with language that you were talking about, Bonnie, which I see all the time. And it's exhausting, actually. It's just exhausting. <laughs> because I find sometimes that it, it takes a kind of, um, you know, you have to go, you have to pay attention. It's a kind of attention that is 
a body attention, it's a mind attention, it's a attention to the culture, attention to the 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 incoming pressures and inputs from all directions that are producing um, all kinds of pathways for what might be said or what might be heard. And part of that attention has to do for me with just recognizing that, that, that this great metabolizing world is, is always right there. And it's very difficult to ever know if what you're perceiving is what's there or it's what you're perceiving because of the, the context and the, the way that you've learned to perceive. How would you ever know? So there's, there's this meditative, I guess, process or attention to, to for me, this is, 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 I think, part of my addressing the urgency of the time that we're in is addressing the way in which all these other pushings and pressures and patterns are seducing our communication into perpetuating existing communication. So it just keeps going. So to kind of like, I mean, I feel like I'm, you know, scraping away the mud and, and finding a little spot and opening it up ever so carefully and, you know, tasting it a little bit and, what's in there and 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 then to find a, a little place where there's a new way to communicate something that is just on the other side of that membrane is i mean for me that's that's how you get out of the matrix is with the different communication process a different a different way of perceiving of being in relationship. But then you say this thing or it comes into words and in just a minute, it, it, it gets kind of absorbed back in. So it's, um, it's, it's a wide angle, deep attention for me, that's my experience of it. And it's absolutely in, in the body because um, the intellect is just, let's don't make a lot of separation there too. I, I don't really know how you have an idea that isn't embodied, by the way. Um, it just might be a kind of a, an uncomfortable chair, you know, it's, it's like not a good embodiment. Maybe it doesn't open to more vitalizing, but still I think some really mechanistic ideas are living in our bodies. And so, you know, kind of finding a way to begin to recognize where resistances are coming from. And, and, and this is why I was saying there's something invisible happening here. And that there's, I guess, a, a shared sense maybe of that, that 
that urgency to to change the pitch. Yeah. That makes me curious about uh, how you all experience embodiment itself, if embodiment itself is the right way to say that. Uh, I feel like there's, you know, sort of a spectrum in people between how much they feel like their body is themselves and how much they feel like it's some other thing that they're in an intimate relationship with. And on the spiritual side, there's, does my body seem to me like a thing or is it filled with vitality? Is it filled with spaciousness? You know, is there a neurosomatic all over tingling of interiority? Um, do you feel like maybe you experience embodiment in a similar way and that helps set up this resonance between you? Are there differences? Are there significant differences maybe between the way that you all are experiencing embodiment and the way you suppose uh, uh, many other people might be experiencing their bodies? I mean, one thing I'll say is I, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> I am continually um, fascinated by the process of coming deeper into my body and how that happens over time. Also, you know, aging, for example, and, um, and how the different chapters of my life, um, in this time and in this body, you know, being a woman, for example, and also a mother, so having given birth, like there were different, um, there have been so many experiences uh, that have opened doors into more deeper embodiment. And it, it happens daily. And there are days when I'm less embodied as I would perceive it. And maybe that's part of what you're asking is how do you perceive it? I guess what I want to express, I have a, I know everybody has a lot to say on the matter, but um, just to start, I would say there's a humility. It was a humility and now it's just this fascination where, I mean, at the beginning of this pandemic, for example, I uh, moved out of the city. So like within, in, within a couple of days, I was uprooted from my 20 years in New York City and landed on this farm. And I realized that I, I wasn't home. I wasn't in the base. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have ground. And this is after 20 years as a yogi, like dedicated, hardcore, serious embodiment expert kind of yogi. And so, um, wow, like that was shocking to me. And it continues I mean, it continues to deepen is really the experience um, and sort of widen the base. Um, but I, I, I love the process and I don't, don't claim any expertise at it. But yeah, that's, that's it. My, my shock at how it just keeps going. It just keeps happening. <laughs> And, and gratitude, I would say, because I think it's um, it's still not easy to speak for myself to be an aging woman in the culture, um, and I'm right at midlife, and so embodiment is a daily practice, you know, and being comfortable in my body and um, 
is something I spend a lot of time with and not just for myself, but because I really feel like I'm paving the way. Like I love to be some sort of role model. If, if not, you know, if maybe just my, for my daughter, she's 10. And I love the idea of her living with a woman, her mother, unlike my mother, um, who I love dearly, but wasn't fully and isn't fully comfortable in her body. Um, but I just want to template that and, and make that impression on her. And if I can do that for other young women, um, that feels like a really great mission. I can speak a bit about embodiment. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to tell you a little story. When I was doing um, a training 20, 30 years ago, um, it was called Emotional Bodywork. And we did a very intense bioenergetics kind of work for the ones who know that. And I was in a training institute in the Netherlands and I walk with my friend from the, the workshop space to the dining hall. And she said, you know what? I was the whole morning hanging at the ceiling. I'm like, what? I mean, we were doing really hard physical exercise to bring emotions out. It had never occurred to me that you could, that somebody could do that, like hanging on the ceiling. Like she was performing the whole thing. And that's where I learned how uh, dissociation is happening so widespread in the culture. Like I've over the years become, let's say, like almost like an expert in, in with trauma healing and making people bits by bits by bits back into the body. And I would say the culture in itself is so dissociated in so many ways and I, I can hardly start talking about it. Um, but I had the fortune, I'm the firstborn. My parents lived in what is now a nature reserve. So I had my two parents, hectares of park, wildlife. It was probably no trauma at all until I was two and a half. So that embodiment phase was like probably perfect <laughs> paradise. So I learned the hard way that for other people, it's way, way, way different than how it is for me. And another little story, when I was 18 or 19, studying for an exam, and I said like, oh, I will study the whole night because I'm not ready. By 12 o'clock, I'm totally exhausted. I fall asleep. I just can't dissociate myself from the body in that way. I just, I fall asleep and I go to bed because I can't study anymore. So that's a whole other, sh yeah, I guess different than for many people. Uh, 
just a couple of stories around embodiment, basically. Maybe some, I, I do think that what you named Lehman, that from the embodiment, from the felt sense, as Jendlin would call it, and to learn to articulate that, I do think that is a very important thing that we need to learn, to spread, to help each other doing, um, because there's so much knowing from there that's different than the, let's say the mental cognitive knowing. And I'm hoping this will merge, this will co-create together more. I don't know how or how exactly, but that's something that needs to happen, I think. Were you gonna say something a moment ago, Miriam? I was, and then I was wondering if I was still going to say it, um, but with your extra invitation, I was looking at us here and considering your question, and I was looking at us all as if we're all instruments um, around this question of embodiment, and you opened up so many areas there that we could speak about, so I would love to hold all of them, but I'm, I, I won't, um, so I'll just start with one little moment. As, as I look at your faces and what I can see of your bodies and I just imagine you as instruments, um, I feel very much how each of us is a, is a unique instrument and the music that would most naturally flow out of each of us would have its, uh, it would have its particular flavor and fingerprint. Um, and also how the music that pours out of each of us changes. You know, I think as you were talking about Sky, about it, our bodies aging, I, over time, I, I feel like when I was younger, I just felt this is, this is it, this is the body you have. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing there's such a malleability. There's so much change. There's who you thought your body was is very different. And that can go in all directions. I'm stronger now than I was five years ago. I'm, I'm getting stronger. It's incredible. It's wonderful. And my strides are longer and bigger. And I'm, you know, so there's, there's change in all directions. It doesn't just have to be a downhill as we get older. Um, I, I agree, Ria. I, you know, I was also, I landed in a body that felt like home. And I think a lot of that is circumstance. Um, it was how I was welcomed onto this earth uh, by my parents and what the environment was. So, as, as a natural as a natural state I feel I, I feel well in this body I feel incredibly grateful I feel in awe every day about what this this instrument can do and at the same time I've noticed that if I think of what type of instrument I am I've often thought I'm like a wind chime that the smallest breeze actually affects this body um, so a very thin skin, and so having to learn how to navigate in this world that is a bit rough and tough for me to tell you the truth, like it's intense, like with all the grace and blessings I've had in this life, I find being human incredibly intense. Um, and, and I think it's that wind chime version of instrument that I happen to be where there's the inside and the outside are in this interplay um, constantly. 
And it's it was almost a full-time job to just navigate that on, an, on a daily basis. And it's fun in a lot of ways. Um, it's, it's thrilling, but it, it's definitely a project. So I was uh, watching all of you just feeling into what instruments are we and how do we listen to each other and how do we um, keep noticing when we're in tune and out of tune? Because to me, a lot of the embodiment moving into words where there's a, it doesn't feel separate, where it feels like it's connected, has a lot to do with the particular instrument that is speaking or thinking being in tune, which is simple things like breathing, coming home into the body, knowing when this nervous system is off kilter and dysregulated and when it's come back into calm and anchoredness and just becoming very intimately aware of these things and knowing that they are they are part of the words that come out. They're not separate from them. And they're also part of how I can receive and hear and take in what other instruments are offering and then how we can make music together and whether it gets jarring at some point because I need to step back and actually retune. So I play with that metaphor a lot um, in my work as a therapist. I'm like, and especially in couples therapies, like if we can get if we could get attentive to when we're out of tune and then rather than continuing to talk and keep moving and acting in the world, you would never do that if you were part of an orchestra. You actually stop and you'd retune your violin or your flute and then you'd get back and play. So can we start doing that even as we need to keep playing because you never stop living. You're still, you're, in a way, you're always doing it. Um, can, we, can we learn to keep showing up and bear a certain degree of discomfort and be regulating while we're in the in the mode of being and becoming human. In the fire is what came up for me. Like you're literally in the fire when you're dysregulated and your first tendency is just to do what your defense systems whatever defense systems you have grown as a child, uh, a lot of the time that is degrees of dissociation uh, depending on the person. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how uh, blessed I've been to come into contact with such um, examples of, of people like Rhea, like Miriam. I suspect Bonnie as well. And, and, and Nora and Sky to be like such wholesome. I just imagine they have had more um, wholesome ch childhoods, especially the first three years of life than, than I have. And I have, I come from a back background of chronic depression. It brings tears to my eyes as, you know, as I just confess this on, online. And here is my experience of embodiment right now I'm about to cry and I just feel into my body you know I take a moment I slow down and uh, come back to to presence and from there maybe I'll have a glimpse of what's essential to contribute into the space and that's my only chance to contribute into life in, a, in any meaningful and, and constructive way. 
because when I contribute to the world from a dysregulated place, um, I am only adding to the fragmentation, um, even though it might look like I have a brilliant idea because we are brilliant. Uh, you know, we can come up with such good looking things. <laughs> um, yeah, so with my clients, I work on how do you track in the body when you're tra triggered? How do you feel into, what does being triggered feel in your body? And a lot of the time I find that it is a similar experience in everybody that we can generalize under a contracted sense in the body. So I started talking about an expanded self and you can actually move through bringing awareness, through taking a little time. You can, you can learn to move even in hard situations, even under fire. Like for me, being on, in this space, although my body has relaxed an hour and 20 minutes into, into it, you can move from a contracted state of being, which, is, which might be your usual experience to um, response to, to life or that specific hard situation, you can just stay with it and you can move back to your expanded self through being present in your body. That's how I experienced it. And, um, I'm finding that uh, at least with the people I've worked with so far, it's generally a universal uh, experience between contraction and expandedness. I have another question coming up for myself and it's, you know, I've been in a lot of sophisticated conversation spaces, uh, some of them in the podcasting realm. And there's usually a bunch of men sitting around and once in a while we say, where are the women? Now, here's a bunch of women. So to what degree do you feel like masculine and feminine are viable thinking tools are they useful ways of describing and delineating reality or not um i'll take a stab at that because i know it's a trap <laughs> i don't really want to <laughs> get in there and have the bear trap go on me and not my friends here so when you say we're all the men or we're all the women that's not masculine and feminine that's that's where are male bodies and female bodies. So I just want to say there's kind of two questions in there. What I want to say, I don't want to say all the things that have been said before. What I can add is that I think there's a confusion. So that, for example, um, there's a way in which a female, let's just say, use these stereotypes, can be very disembodied and conceptual, but their experience is being embodied because they're emoting or they're, they're telling stories or they're yelling or they're whatever, because the words are emotional and narrative in language. This has been taken to be an embodied state when it's not, it's just disembodied, but not conceptual. So it's very important. And, Conversely, in some of the podcasts you have on, I was watching Sean Hargens this morning on meta, 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 meta models, 
But when he talks about it, he talks about his experience and what happened to him and what this profound insight was and what he hopes it does in the world. It's so highly conceptual. And you even asked him, why is this not just for people with beards, you know? But you always get the sense that he's creating high art from a place of embodiment, you know? So the, the, we don't want to confuse the conceptual and narrative emotional with whether you're embodied or not. This is, this is, um, and so for some podcasts, it's just highly conceptual and that's just not a game. Some people don't play, men and women. And then there are some modes of conversation uh, which someone called uh, um, slow empathic discourse that a lot of people, they just, you know, they're happy to sit there, but they don't have a lot, th that mode doesn't come up for them, you know? And what we don't want is people feeling they have to ape the mode to be successful in those different contexts, okay? So now, of course, it begs the question, how do you know whether someone's embodied or disembodied? Um, if it's not what comes literally comes out of their mouth. Um, but I just wanted to make that that distinction, because I think we throw those things around a lot um, based upon the form of discourse and not um, whether they seem to be embodied. And, and I have a bad, I was trying to make a good definition of embodied when you offered the question. And I don't know how to say anymore, but it's a notion of not being split, right? So even when you're noticing your body's uncomfortable and you're strategizing a thought, that's not as embodied as you can be because you're still split into different compartments that are doing different things, that are taking care of different things. And so of course, when you're flying on the ceiling and your body has no first person perspective, then you're, that's a big split, okay? So I would say this notion of being split is a good, a good metric for whether you're embodied or not. If your perspective and your idea and your gesture and your action, and as Miriam said, your intention and the use that you're putting your mind and your speech is all in one direction, uh, that I would call embodied. If I'm sitting here wondering if I'm doing it right, there's a little split. So, yeah, so I think this notion that, and, and of course the, the trick here is we can't develop as people if we don't compartmentalize and split, right? So early childhood development, you, the psyche splits, right? Into subject, object, me and you, self, other and world. So, uh, this is the tricky part of being human as opposed to theoretically not human is that we grow by fragmenting and then we mature by becoming coherent again. And so if you define that by splitting, I would say splitting is something the body does as part of its developmental process. And then on the other end, there's a a recapturing. Now, having said that, I would say that that's probably not uh, universally and eternally true. I think it's true for the way we develop children today. So we emphasize, uh, you know, we emphasize and we highlight 
with words the organization of the psyche. And so those become a, a, a little more, you know, they, they become reified and crystallized for a longer period of time. So by the time you're trying to realign them, they're, they're rather structurally in, inherent. So if we, could, if we could support the, what did you say, the becoming into of the structures of the person and the reintegration, constant movement, of that all of, along the life path, I think um, that would make a big difference. I think you successfully defused the trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the distinction between stereotypical masculine and feminine modes of disembodied communication and, you know, the unified or more unified condition of embodiment. Um, I'm wondering what kind of moral yearning or ethical orientation is involved here. Because on the one hand, I feel like we're speaking to something that has tremendous value for the world and the world seems to be in need of certain shifts. But on the other hand, does thinking in that way of this could be a real contribution to the world sort of sabotage the spontaneous open-endedness that this all requires? Should this be ethically framed or not? I, I guess the question is, is the, are we just describing something or are we prescribing? Are we up here saying, look, if you all could talk like this and do this crazy thing we're doing, uh, then the world would uh, um, heal or something. And um, uh, uh, that's an interesting question. I, I guess the question is at what level do you feel the little voice of prescription versus um, just exploring this for its, its own sake? Um, hmm. And does thinking of it as prescription um, risk sabotaging the descriptive capacity's ability to bring something forward in a prescriptive way? Like if this is gonna be of help somehow, is there a risk that thinking of it in those terms might sabotage the very thing that could make it helpful, which is a sort of you know, unplanned, uh, unpredetermined element? Well, I just, I'll just answer by saying, um, um, in almost everything that I write for publication today, an editor will say, well, we really like something with more prescriptive, like what, what should we be doing? Bonnie, what should we be doing, <laughs> you know? Um, so I guess that's, that's where I, I, I fall on kind of that, that line. And, and then when I do write, like in the Emerge uh, article, like six things that I thought were very path-oriented to getting things done, and I believe that they could be, um, they're just six of a million. So why should it be those six and not some other six or something? Um, yeah. I think a difference here that is important is maybe how you raise children in the best way. Are you prescribing something or are you modeling by how you live your life? 
and that's actually what I what I do in in let's say my collective presencing sessions is basically inviting people into a very I mean there's some constraints around this is how we talk we use a talking piece and this is the question and but for the rest there's no prescription at all and linking it back to that embodiment question it seems or that's what people give back to me is like maybe not how I'm talking from, but if I frame a conversation and a dialogue from a place where I'm, let's say, embodied, centered, grounded, it seems to invite people into that. It's called, there's a word that's called entrainment. You entrain people into that. Um, but I'm very, like, prescription, <laughs> um, modeling, give examples. But um, I think the, the, where the world is going, we don't have a clue where the world is going. That's how I see it. And... I can only model what I think might be helpful. Um, I mean, prescription holds like some kind of linearity in it for me, which doesn't work in this complexity, I guess. Uh, that's how I'm holding it. I want to jump back and... Um kind of uh, present how well prescriptions have worked for me. <laughs> you know, um, not any prescription. Uh, maybe we can argue that I've already had from childhood a level of intelligence, curiosity, openness, something that allowed discernment in how I received the prescription and how I applied it. Um, you know, I feel like I'm always working with one prescription or another. Like recently, um, you know, here, here it is, it's, it's written, you know, I can say you must develop one pointed, one pointedness in the existence of your being. Like that's the prescription. Go ahead and try it. <laughs> Um, all that to say, I feel like any prescription can be dismantled when it's time to dismantle it. And it, it, it kind of comes down to the attitude with which we might be offering it, uh, which is what turns into what we model, right? I would love to be able to you had a brilliant question. Um, where is it? What can we take 
as a given? Is there anything we can take as a given? You asked with your conversation with uh, Daniel Thorson without naming it. And that really seems to be the question that's most alive for me. Can we point to things without boxing them? But can those things allow the expansion of our being and of our acting in the world? I don't know if that made any sense, but there it is. I don't know if it did either, but it was great. Um, I have a, something that interests me is uh, resistances that might be in us to this sort of phenomenon and engagement. So I'm curious, you know, uh, from each of you, what resistance you might initially have felt to getting involved in this project? Um, well, maybe what you felt was at risk in doing it. And where you are now, like, is, what do you think is holding you back from going a little further down this road? First of all, I, I don't remember ever being really, you know, terribly concerned about it because it just looked like it was going to be delicious and, and enjoyable. So uh, I was, uh, I was, of course, curious. Um, and more than anything curious as to um, what would happen. And, and, and so the first time we spoke, there was a little bit of this kind of, we kind of bumped our way in. Um, and there was a little bit more like, well, this is where I'm coming from going on. But somehow the second time, we just didn't even start there at all. And uh, so I think for me, I, 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 I have been really craving the possibility to, to explore in this way without the, uh, the rhythms and the tonalities of the academic debate, um, without the, the morality of a lot of the spiritual discourse, um, without diving into, and this is going to kind of touch into your prescriptive question, which uh, I think is an important question. Um, I, I feel like there's too much to do to tend to the, the, the shifting world that we're in right now to, um, to start off with an agenda. So I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum there from Eche, where I, I really, um, I, I see where those scripts, prescriptions really help. And I also am in my own work right now, just like ready to let, let go okay. and, and allow the possibility of a different kind of integrity to come forth. And that's not an integrity to be coherent with who I used to be or to be coherent with a set of rights and wrongs or ideas of right and wrong, but to be in um, spontaneous 
attention to what's happening around me and, and within the, the conversations that we're having. And to actually have no idea what the right thing to do is, but to pay attention and show up. And so if there was ever anything that I would be, you know, nervous about or, or in any kind of resistance, it would only be that if there was some kind of way in which this conversation were moving in which I couldn't do that in which I was somehow impinged into a particular form of communication where I eh, like, you know, what, what Bonnie just did when she, when she, um, when she outdid the double bind that got that, that, that happened right there. That's really important. That, that, that response that just happened there because there are so many possibilities for where that question goes that is our rabbit holes down places that I, I can't, I can't do what I want to do in those rabbit holes. I can't, I can't, I don't have anything to offer in that rabbit hole. So so that if there if there was any kind of a like oh, what could happen it would be that just that I I I would want to you know really I guess um, I don't want to slouch into this right this is this is I want to walk on the high wire with you. So I, I appreciate that. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that answer, Nora. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm sitting, there are a few things that are still sort of swirling from previous questions and um, just noticing, you know, there is some time constraints. So maybe, we can bring them into future discussions, but uh, there is there is something happening. I, I I love to watch the culture. I mean, I, I used to be a trend spotter and futurist professionally, so I'm very aware of what where the movements and the culture are happening. And there does seem to be in the field a performance of a lot of the things that. Um, we're talking about, and um, I think maybe m for me more in the sp the spiritual community. Not to bring it back to that word, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's not. I had no resistance to coming into the conversation. Zero. It seemed like a lot of fun, and it has been. I just I do feel there's some commitment I have to. Um, where should I go? I guess I'll just say that, um, yeah, I have nothing else to say. I loved what Nora had to say. <laughs> here, here, there is something, I just don't have the words for it. Maybe you can help me. I do, because I'm still working sometimes in environments, like let's say the corporate environment, because it's an easy thing to imagine. 
um, I'm still, there's a bridge that has to be crossed. Like I still have, I'm still meeting people um, frequently in a place where masculine and feminine has a particular meaning where um, conversation tends to be more transactional and I'm trying to uh, model or teach, you know, a, a way of being that's different. I mean, a lot of times they're coming to me for that reason that I hold something they don't totally understand. And sometimes they have a lot of resistance to it. <laughs> some people in the group will have resistance, some are open, some are curious. And so, you know, how to, how to walk or speak to, or like travel, meet people where they are, and then cross, cross some kind of bridge together is something that I'm constantly thinking about. And so, you know, the question about masculine and feminine, I love how we went with that. And there's a way that, you know, certain groups that I'm working with, I have to, I have to frame it differently or meet them where they are with the concepts. And um, that's, that's just present for me also in what we're talking about. Um, that I know there's a lot of resistance to this, I guess is what I feel. Um, I meet it all the time, you know, I'm like, okay, can we slow down? Okay, why do you know, what's behind the question? What's the process? You know, where are we, you know, just the reorientation and Bonnie is a genius at this. And um, uh, it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I can do it without angering people or triggering them. <laughs> I still do it. But yeah, that, that's where I am. That's the resistance. When, when you say that word, I feel it more in the culture to what we're trying to bring forward. Maybe it's in me too. Then it's in me too, somehow. I, I think a, a few conversations ago, at one point, and I forget who, who of us said it, but it sort of felt like it arose in our middle, was that as we consider the world now and the future, there is such a dynamic complexity at play and at the same time there are ways to at least at times pierce through to a certain simplicity on the other side and one of the ways that I recall us doing unless it was a completely different conversation but was to get behind the eyes of a child or children and start envisioning what life could be, would be, might be, maybe even should be. You know, I, I actually don't mind prescriptions whatsoever. Um, if they're held in the right way, I think it's about our relationship with them is in a way another question, not whether or not. So, um, but to, so I, I get curious about those things that the simplicity on the sort of through, it's not even on the other side because you're, you're with the complexity and it's dynamic and it's ever changing. But there's a there's a, a thread through that in a way allows you to make some sense of everything in a way that doesn't trim down or limit what you're trying to make sense of. And at least for me, putting myself behind the eyes of a child growing up and what that would need to truly flourish and thrive in all ways. 
is an inquiry that um, I can imagine could lead to some, to ongoing, it, it, it's an inquiry that can lead to ongoing inquiry, but it can also lead to some prescriptions as held in right relationship to the prescriptions. And I, so that was one piece I want to share. The other is partly why I feel so comfortable in this, in this gathering here, because if there's one thing that I can feel inside myself sometimes resisting is I do, I, I really like to please people truly, you know, it's probably what well, it is it's a shadow. I like to do well and tie the bow at the end and say, there you go. Right. And this kind of conversation doesn't necessarily allow that. Like I sometimes imagine being someone listening to this going, what the heck are they doing? What on earth are they talking about? Where is the, where are they going with this? When, so while I'm bathing it and loving it, I, there's a part of me that feels, how, how can I please? And so I'm, I'm living in that dynamic and it's very much at the edge. So it's not bothering me too much. Um, but it's there just because I, I'm, I, I feel like there's some people who are very available and receptive and resonant with this emergent weaving that we're doing and others who actually would probably be best served by something more prescriptive and, and, that, and that's okay. But I, I, I did want to name it that it's there for me in the space and why, and this leads me to the last bit I'd like to say is why I feel so comfortable with you all is I feel like each of you in your own way are holding some form of what feels to be like a, a, a vertical energy, whether you want to call that masculine or just cl clarity. You know, I often like to just use the word clarity, discernment, that sort of sword type of energy. I feel like we're all holding some of that in ourselves, probably to varying degrees, but it's there. There's a certain witnessing, watching, observing um, that's happening. And at the same time, I feel that each of us in our own ways holds a lot of the horizontal, um, literally giving a big hug to what is right now in this moment. So the uncondition, unconditional being with, um, which feels very warm and relaxing and emergent and intimate and like it has a lot of flavor. But because it seems to me um, that somehow that mix is alive in each of us here, it works like the emergent actually works because there is enough stability. It's not a it's not an emergence that um, falls into mushiness. There's there's I, I feel pillars at work at the same time as there's a lot um, happening in the middle. If that makes any sense. I appreciate that because I think there's. Um a lot of ways for something like this to go wrong or to not quite realize its potential if the people involved don't have the right kinds of balances inside themselves. Now we're getting close to what's going to be the end, uh, but I don't want to let that concept constrain us. Yeah. Um, if there's anything lingering that anybody wants to add, I guess now's a good time. I, I have a confession. Go ahead, Bonnie. <laughs> um, so, so when we were thinking of doing this podcast, it had a, a few different permutations and then, and then it became us. One of the ways I talked about it was what, what, 
what would it be like for every conversation to build a new skill? We don't, we didn't have a discussion about that. We were just kind of, I was just putting different ideas in the space. But you see, I'm a builder. Like, you know, I build this farm. I built a bunch of companies. I build all the insight center. I build models. And so I have, the, my confession is, is I have some kind of energy of expectation that, that, that we will survive this open weaving space. <laughs> And something will be built out of it, you know? I do have that orientation, um, but I have no vision, so it doesn't get in the way that, in that sense. But, you know, I have a sense of, yeah, I mean, I have a sense of some kind of telos as kind of a dirty word in, in even in my, my book, but um, that's my confession. There's, there's, so that's, that's the pull aspect of it. And the open aspect of it, when I lean into the open aspect of it, I think, what if we got so good at this, listening to each other, we shut up on a podcast for three hours and we all listened. And then what if the whole world stopped talking and just listened? That's a kind of a strange image, I know, but that's, that's, that's kind of the other... The other place it could go. <laughs> As an additional participant who's temporarily coming into this and also as a male, um, I guess one of my prompts for um, skill development or even the emergence of the sub skills that might one day become the skills, um, the question of like how to help people come in and out of whatever this is how to help people of different temperaments of different genders. Is there anything, you know, unique to this kind of a space that could produce a kind of etiquette that would make it more fluid for people to come in and out? Uh, so that's a prompt I would offer for going forward. I know um, that in Rhea's work, she, uh, she she teaches collective presencing to my cohort and she's done had to do it online this year but the last time we were together you could see that you could see people drop in to this kind of open dialogue and then you see the people can't make it in and we actually said um do you feel like there's about like they perceive the intimate group as being walled off from them and that is a dynamic that can happen in in you know, the intimacy from the inside builds a perceived wall for those people who can't get in. So I think that's a real, uh, a valid observation um, and, a, and a really good question. It, it does seem to instructurate itself that way in large groups. H.A., was there something you wanted to share? Yes, there was. Um, what was it? Um, that question is, it feels significant for me to jump on. Did that, did I have any resistance coming in? Oh yeah. I think it's worth <laughs> saying it out loud. I mean, you already witnessed what, why I had, uh, the resistance coming into such level of showing up. What got me through into it is, um, is the excitement of this 
this formation, I perceive it as uh, we're showing up as one. So like, you're yes, you're interviewing six women here, but my perception of it is that it takes at least this many <laughs> to bring one whole uh, more complete reflection of the wholeness and complexity of life. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to name that, you know. And, you know, going forward, do I have hesitations? Yeah. <laughs> what happens in so many groups for me that probably is already happening in this group to a certain extent is uh, that I become the black sheep of the group or the ugly duckling or um, the five-year-old, you know, the beginner. Uh, and as much as I hate being in that position, I love it and thoroughly enjoy it at the same time. <laughs> um, it's the first time, for example, I heard the word opposite in our group, which you know, I, it gets me to giggle inside and because it helps us making these differentiations. I think I heard Miriam name the kind of uh, discernment that we can start bringing to when is prescription useful or to what kind of person. Uh, you know, as I already named, I feel like I come from a different lack of health and resiliency. Um, and to come to a, enough of a stable base, um, some way of shepherding that journey is, is very useful. It has been extremely useful in my life. But only with also either prescribed or the inherent intelligence of the person of having the right attitude about the prescription. And then there comes the time of this, this emergent weaving um, because there's enough health in the system, be it personal or the collective, right? Um, I, love, I love the opportunity to come this, to, to, to this level of understanding reality. It's so intimate and um, yeah, I feel like I am feeling into, peeking into um, the heart of what life is about, like the mechanism behind reality and how it all works. Um, yeah. Terrific. I'm, I'm very curious to see how this unfolds as it deepens. Uh, I want to thank you individually and collectively for showing up and sharing this with me and not eating me or cooking me. <laughs> I still have the question to you, Layman. Mm -hmm. What is the most challenging question you have for us? If you want to answer that. I would need to sit with that for a little while before I felt confident with it. So maybe that's for next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are we not doing I ask you a question? I'm sorry, Yeche. Sure. I thought we were doing three hours. Is that not the case? We were open for three hours in case it was going on and on, but I think we're trying to wrap it up. But I do want to say, and Miriam, you have a question, but there's a little secret here because for two years, 
while I was being asked to do something like this and saying no, it was Etche who kept on saying, you should do this, Bonnie. You should, I mean, like all the energy for this is actually has come from Etche. So she's actually the seed and the spark. I don't want people to get the impression that we are, obviously she feels uncomfortable, but we haven't like slaughtered her into this space by design. It's actually, uh, um, the seed was from, from all that two years of, of really keeping that energy in the, in the pedal to the metal. So um, yeah, hopefully that's okay. I, I shared that because, you know, this is the fruit of, of that persistent vision you had. So to the reluctant, you know, the reluctant Bonnie. She's not just the baby and the contrarian. She's also the seed. <laughs> 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 yes, I um, I would be happy to do this for three hours. I'd be happy to do it again sometime, but let's wrap it up for now and let everyone have their day. Can I just ask you, Layman, before we end, I, I'm just really curious what your experience was in how comfortable was this, how uncomfortable, how odd, how familiar anything like you know i really yeah. in a way want to bring you in as a participant here it um, was fairly comfortable mm -hmm. uh, i felt like uh listening to the pauses between each of your words allowed me to uh, tune into the shared silence and get a feeling for each of you because i felt like that's what i needed to do was I mean, I would have liked to have watched all of you while one of you was talking, but I feel like I have to get to know you in my mind or whatever this is a little better. Um, I think I'm, I'm reasonably good at being in these spaces. Uh, and there was a journey of shifts in my bodily sensation. At first, I was maybe a little nervous and a little relaxed, and then I was a little tingly. Uh, and then at one point, like a, a torus shaped inner pressure so that I was struggling to even be aware of what was going on for a little while. And then it all sort of uh, trickled back together after that. And I felt like um, actually when H.A. was talking last, um, my heart released a little bit. And so I think these are stages of becoming familiar, getting relaxed in this space. So it was, wasn't too difficult, but also it's a journey. <laughs> Thank you.